I then say, in general, this type of provider would be best aligned if you are on this part of the spectrum. And they get to have a personal aha moment without mm. feeling outed or without being, you know, made an example of, where they then know in their own mind, in their own self, I'm not aligned. Oh no. Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix. And I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Today we talk all about alignment. And not body alignment, which I love, but alignment with our birthing choices. This is huge and can be a really difficult thing to navigate. I know for me as a birth worker, it took some time and experience to really learn how to speak to this in a way that both landed with my clients, but also didn't overstep. If your client wants, let's say a no intervention birth, and yet they are with a practice that has a very high intervention rate, what do you do? Liz has a no BS approach that I love, and we can't wait for you to listen to this episode. As the owner and lead teacher of Birth Ed, Liz Hockman has been heavily involved in the Twin Cities professional birth community since 2009. She has served several hundred birthing people and their families in the past decade as a Lamaze educator, lactation counselor, and a doula. With her background rooted in research, she imparts evidence-based information in a fun and integrative learning environment. Liz, we are so happy to have you with us. And thank you. I know that you know Lindsay, but we haven't met yet. So I appreciate you being here during these hectic, busy times. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I think Liz, I think we met in probably 2009. We must have started birth work around the same time. Yes. Mm -hmm. We met Uh, at um, a childbirth collective parent topic night, I'm pretty sure. That's awesome. I love it. So what we like to start with is asking people kind of like how you got into this work, you know, we're, we're speaking to birth professionals and we all kind of come in it a little bit differently and you've been so successful in the last decade. So I'd love to hear kind of your journey to where you are now. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when I hear other people's stories about how they, how they came into working in a, in a birth professional space, um, mine is different. (laughs) Um, And it's because I had never had any intention of doing any work like this. I considered myself to be kind of a corporate person. And so at the time, when I first came out of college, I was uh, working in consumer research. So it was very much heavy into the understanding marketing trends and things like that. And I helped companies identify if their products would do well in certain markets. So totally not birth. And I did that for quite a few years after I graduated and was doing fine with it. I mean, didn't have a general satisfaction in my job at all, um, but was very driven by kind of the corporate structure and things like that. So 
then I got pregnant with my first baby and I turned my natural research drive into my, into a focus on birth, which, you know, the next challenge I was about to do. Um, if you would have asked me in that pregnancy, like before I started reading and researching, like, Hey, what kind of birth do you want? I would have been like, Hey, you know what? Just, um, wake me up yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of months after the baby's here and I just here's your kid <laughs> because yeah. I, oh my I certainly wasn't someone who was in any way understanding how and why the process affects your body and mind for the rest of your life. But then I started to read and I devoured everything I could get. So my book stack on the, my bedside table was 15 books deep. Um, and I switched to a midwife halfway through my pregnancy um, just after reading The Thinking Woman's Guide to Better Birth by Hensi Goer. Um, mm, good book. Yeah. And, and so that one really spoke to me in my statistics and research-driven brain of like, this just makes good scientific sense. Yeah. Um, and so that is, is kind of how the path started. I had that baby, um, uh, my firstborn, and, uh, you know, that was 12 years ago. So then after that, I got laid off from my corporate job because it was the recession, um, you know, in that 2009 time. Yeah. And I kept trying to go back into corporate. So I was like, just interviewing and pounding the pavement. And finally, my husband said, why are you trying to do and get a job that you hate? <laughs> and I was like, fair uh, point. Fair point. Yeah, so a good I, point. Um, so then I just, I started doing some work. I read um, Finding Your North Star by uh, Martha Beck. Um, which really is helping you identify what your strengths are and what you're good at and what you, mm. what you are drawn to and how you align that with your career and your job. And that is how I set on to the path of becoming a doula. I always knew I wanted to be a childbirth educator as part of that process because that's where I felt like I could impart that research brain the most. Yeah. Um, but that's how it started. And that's what called me to the work is that I could apply my professional uh, brain and the way that I know how markets work and the way that I know how business works into a setting where I don't think it had previously had a lot of that. I mean, you remember, Lindsay, 10 years ago, nobody had a website. I no. think you and I yeah. were the only ones. Yeah. You know, I love that about you. And I don't know if I've ever heard you share it this way. And I think it maybe you know, that's clearly one of the reasons why you've been so successful is that you had that background that a lot of people in birth work don't have. And it's really tricky for people to like get their feet off the ground if they don't understand some of the just like general how to own a business stuff. And you had that. Yeah. Right? And I think that there, I did. And so I think that, um, I think that what people get stuck on in birth work is that it's heart work, right? So they, so they think this is service and heart work. Therefore, all the businessy stuff has got to be bad and yucky. You know, it right. can't be. It can't be part of your heart work. Well, I disagree. I believe. I believe that a very well laid out ethical business model um, actually makes your heart work have even better impact and ha makes people feel comfortable because they're like, oh, they have a professional system here oh, they're, they have a legitimate process. This isn't a hobby for them. I mean, I think that at least my clients I've noticed have felt comforted by the basic business structure elements that I have. Yeah, I think right. it can go both ways because I know like those brilliant genius minds, some of those movement teachers who are just super movement based, but don't have the business set up. And now they're really like, can't even turn on a computer. And yeah. 
lately. I know, I know. And then there's people like you and we, we take pride in having a really well-oiled machine. And I agree with you. I think if you don't fall into either one of those extremes, it doesn't look great for your business. Right. And I, I'm not saying that the people who, I feel like there's so many really brilliant people in birth work. And if they don't have one side or the other, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that they can't be successful. There's certainly clients and customers out there that are drawn to um, the types of genius and brains and thoughts and ideas and space that people can hold that has nothing to do with business structure. Um, right. And I think that's always at the heart of what we do is that like connection and relationship. So I'm curious um, because I know Lindsay's really familiar with your work, but can you be specific and honest about why you stand out in what you do and how what you do might be different? Oh, that's like, can you tell us your three strengths? And then no, don't do oh, that. God, that's boring. No. Don't do that. But like, <laughs> but clearly you have a, like, clearly, you know, I mean, let's, well, let's the hear thing it. That, the thing that I appreciate about Liz's business that I think a lot of birth workers could learn from. And Liz, I know we've talked about this in the past is like, you have this research based mind and you, you know, a lot, but you also are able to transfer it to people in a way that is engaging and in a way that stays with them. And because I hear people come away from your classes and, you know, maybe they're working with me in a different capacity or whatever, you know, I hear like these classes are, they're different. Does that make yeah. sense? Like yep. how, no, yes. like, and, and how right. do you teach that? So let's say Kelly is like a brand new doula and childbirth educator. And she's like working on like creating her class. Like what's your advice for her? Like, how do you teach? Well, <laughs> so I, well, first, one of the things that I have to always say is that my, how I got to where I am and what I do is not because of just me. It's because I, I took a training called passion for birth. Um, and that was a Lamaze based training. And I took it from Terry Schilling and Sharon Muja out in Seattle. I flew out there. I wanted to go away from the Midwest to take my training and education because I wanted to think outside of the small sphere and market that I'm in. Um, and what they, like part of their structure and when they teach that Lamaze uh, education class is that you are understanding on how do you get information into people's brains so it's accessible to them later. And it yes. has to do with a lot of activity and, um, and different ways. So if you have something important you want them to remember, they have to hear it and do it in like three or four different modalities before it goes in. Hmm. If you just lecture at someone and read off of a PowerPoint slide, that will not stay with your students. When I see people who are like, we have these PowerPoints and this is how we teach our class. I'm like, good luck. That is just wah, 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 Charlie Brown teacher. <laughs> and nobody is going to have that information readily available to them when they are in the mo moment of their birth, mm -hmm. which is when they are vulnerable and when information is difficult to bring to your mind. So, right. You're not in the same place in your brain when you're no. giving birth. Exactly. Which yeah. is why when I teach things and, and so Lamont, that passion for birth, it's just a, it's just a ideas on how you might teach certain activities. You then have to go and create your own curriculum. So creating the curriculum is figuring out ways you can impart 
um, activity and physical movement into learning so that you can make sure they have that uh, retention. Mm -hmm. So in my class, for instance, you know, I might, I might teach them about the process of induction, but then I physically move their bodies. I'm like, okay, now you're going to go into these three different groups and you're going to tell me, you know, the benefit alternative risk of this particular intervention. And then they come back together and they put the pieces back together. So we're basically learning it three times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's written, they can read it, they can hear it, and then they experience it. So it has to be combinations like that. I love that. That's so good. And I think that that is such a useful piece of information to birth workers and anyone working with people in this population because it's just so easy to to be too close to it, to be like, well, of course, induction, these are the risks. Like as a doula, I could recite the risks all day or the benefits. And yeah, but these people know very little about all of this. And I think the thing is, is that when people are talking about doula work or even, especially childbirth education, but also doula work, it's teaching. It's really teaching at its heart. And like, we're not, most of us, we don't have teaching degrees. My entire family are teachers. My, both my parents, you know, are educators and have masters and PhDs in education. Mm -hmm. So I'm familiar with the why you do things in a class. And the other thing is that when you're teaching the class, it has to feel seamless. It cannot feel like I'm saying now I'm going to have you move your body. So you learn (laughs) like fluid and funny and personable and genuine. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I do swear in my classes. I talk like a regular person. I don't talk like I'm the teacher and you're the student. And that also allows people to learn in a different space. They feel more comfortable asking questions. You feel like a peer and not like someone who is to be, you know, the instructor. I'm in a hierarchical way. Yeah. So stuffy and boring. I agree. That's so good. So the other thing that I wanted to ask you about that I think is so important is and I think doulas all have a little different opinions on this. So I want to I hear yours. So let's say you go to a doula interview and Kelly, I don't know if that's, I just, we'll just choose Kelly. That's your fake, uh, fake that's, person name. Got it. That's yeah. my <laughs> fake person name for today, apparently. So, so Kelly and John, watch, there's actually like a Kelly and John. Um, Kelly and John come and they are telling you about how they want like this water birth and they want no interventions. And they just want to like breathe their baby out and this is the experience they want. And then they also tell you they're going to Dr. X who, you know, maybe doesn't have the best reputation in the community for doing a, you know, no intervention water birth. So what's Mm -hmm. the doula's role here? Like, I feel like there's a range of possibilities. Like this is the controversial topic. Is it the doula's place to say something at that moment? Yeah. And then like how and where and what, like how, I think, I feel like you could be, there could be a range from like, oh my gosh, that doctor sucks. Don't go to that doctor. They're not going to give you that to like, oh, okay, cool. Moving on. Like what's, and maybe yeah. everything. The in Midwestern between. way. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. It is very, it is. You're right. It's very Midwestern of us to be like, I'm just, yep. Okay. Here we go. I'm very nice. And you're a good patient and everything is nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't, you know, when I was just a doula and an educator, I would say words like, it hasn't been my experience that that provider's practice or hospital customarily provides that type of work. Sure, yeah. And the way I said that sentence was very on purpose. 
it hasn't been my experience means I have a small sample size. I think doulas Absolutely. really get into the habit of saying, of all the births I've been to, well, if all the births you've been to is 75, your sample size is nowhere near the size it needs to be to make any true claims about anything. So we That's really good. have to be careful of our personal time experiencing that provider is not how that provider is all the time. Yeah. That's However, huge. yeah, it's also important to impart what you've witnessed and experienced because that is what they're hiring for you for. They're hiring you for your experience in the birth professional world because they don't have it. And I have been told time and again from these doula clients who I say that sentence to, and they're like, you're the first person who's, who's suggested that maybe what I'm looking for and where I'm going don't match. But right, yeah. honestly, in a doula's role, I would say that sentence, and then I would send them to a childbirth educator that I know is going to hit that topic hard. And that is what I do in my classes. So mm -hmm. a lot of doulas send their, send their um, clients to my classes because I spend a significant amount of my time in class on the alignment of values between the provider you've chosen, the birthplace you've chosen, and your personal values as a medical consumer. Wait, so let me get this straight for a second. As a doula, you don't necessarily go beyond your very expertly worded sentence. However, as a mm -hmm. childbirth educator, you do feel like it is your role to educate upon, to, to kind of expound upon that more, or am I, did exactly. I miss something? Okay. Exactly. So depending on what hat you're wearing, that then your reaction is changing, but as a, okay, great. Yes. Which is interesting. So like, let's say somebody takes my class first and then decides to hire me as a doula, which is rare because I don't take very many doula clients anymore. Um, if that happens, I have an actual conversation with them about like, okay, my hat is changing now. So in the past, when you used to ask me, hey, you know, would you say that if I got this epidural at this point, this would happen or that would happen, I can be more clear in what the research tells us on, yep, this is what happens, this is what da, da, da. I can be more... Um, kind of advice giver. But when I'm a doula, it's got to be a totally different shift on, you can point them in the direction of the information, but I cannot suggest or urge them to do any one thing. So I'm going to take over for a second yeah, again, because I'm now curious about the intersection between, so you said you don't take a lot of doula clients anymore. So now I'm curious about when you take a doula client, why do you take that person? Like, does, does your value system have to mm. also be involved? No. Do you see what I'm saying? Like my criteria for a doula client that I would take, well, one <laughs> scheduling, my children are older and I thought, Oh, when my kids are older, I'll be able to do so much more because they're self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. No, turns no. out you have to drive them everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Same. So, oh my gosh. It's yeah, so much harder with big kids. Right? right. It's like, oh, you have to get to rehearsal across town and then you have piano lessons and mm -hmm. then you have this. Right. So so it's it's a lot about scheduling and lifestyle. It's also about I do not want to miss class to be at a birth. So I really don't want those things to pull from each other. I don't want someone to not have me as their doula because it happens to be a Sunday um, afternoon when they're in labor. And I also don't want my class students to be having a replacement teacher because I'm at a birth. So mm -hmm. that's part of it. But another big part of it is I'm willing to take a doula client when their values and their birthplace and provider are 100% aligned. Okay. I don't care if that means they're telling me, hey, I want an epidural, 
I am a technologist, maximalist type of valued person. And those phrases and words I'm saying are coming from um, Your Medical Mind. It's a book, Heartspan and Groupman. Um, mm, to look it up. Yeah. So it's really about why do people choose what they choose in medical care? And, and so if they are a technologist maximalist and they're telling me they want an epidural, they're going to an OB, they're at this hospital, I'm like, great, this is going to go swimmingly because you're aligned in your values with the place that you've chosen. I'm not going to be having to like push, pull, push, pull with you as when someone doesn't trust their provider, it's a nightmare for a doula. So let's say you're at the birth, you thought your client was well aligned, suddenly like client B emerges from her or from them. (laughs) And um, this happens. Right. So now do you, do you speak up? Do you say, listen, when like, listen, your alignment is really off right now and you should go back to like, let's remind you of what your values are. (laughs) No, I say when we were talking, when you weren't in labor, Mm -hmm. you were telling me you wanted this thing and that thing um, is being offered to you right now, but I can see that something isn't clicking and I'm encouraging you to, to be honest with yourself on what you truly want right now. And are you making this decision out of fear or because it truly aligns with yourself? Oh, I love that. I love that. So people, so you are saying that you are not willing to take a client who is not in alignment. Well, have you ever like taken a client who's not in alignment and then they continue to not be in alignment despite what you're saying? How does that work? You know, you know, we've all been to births yes, where it's messy. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah. Um, so what's your role there? Like you go to the birth. I know you said you'll like let them know it's not in alignment, but if it's never been in alignment. Right. So this would be like early on in my doula career before I realized. I was about this was to say, amazing. clearly, yeah, exactly. this is an evolution. Totally. Right. It is for sure. <laughs> when you're, when you're a new doula, you're like, I'll take everyone. I'll yeah, take yeah. anyone. And you're, yeah. and you're just trying to get the work done. Right. But yeah. what you learn is the experience is so dissatisfying for them and for you. Um, that, that you in the end go, oh, okay, here's what I've learned about that. Not going to do that again. So I would say the experiences that ended that way, um, are the ones that led me to this place. And it's just a feeling of powerlessness on the part of the client. I would say, let's say I tell them, Hey, you're telling me you want a water birth unmedicated, but in the hospital, but you're going to this provider practice that I know is going to start talking induction 39 weeks because, you know, the arrive trial or whatever they've read recently. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then they say, no, 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 I really like my doctor. I really like my doctor. And then you tell them, Oh, but you know what? It's probably one in 20 chance. You're going to get your doctor on the day of your birth and they still will persist. Right. Let's say that's the story. Cause it's happened to all of us before. For sure. Then you're in this birth and, and, oh, here's a good, their water break, their water breaks and there's no contractions. And they are like, well, I'm not going to call my provider because I know they're going to tell me to come in and I don't Mm -hmm. agree with that. So we're already out of line. Yeah. And then, (laughs) you know, I'm sure we've all had experiences where then a day goes by and they're not calling their provider. And another day goes by and you start to feel this dread as a doula of like, hold on, what is my part in this? Yeah, Um, because where do you end and they begin also, right? Like, 
Well, that's got to be really clearly written in your contracts and agreements, which goes back to having a business structure. This is those moments that you cannot think to plan for that will come up. Right. Um, But I mean, where do you end? And they begin also very much in the whole responsibility of action. Yeah. And their choice and their body. And are you there just to serve? Are you there just to support no matter what, under no conditions? I mean, clear. I love your line because I'm a very clear woman myself and I know exactly what I will do and what I won't do. And I make it clear to everyone around me, but then probably I wouldn't make a great doula because it might be about my agenda. Yeah. And you can't, do you know what I mean? Like it's tricky. Well, the thing is like if someone's going against medical advice Mm -hmm. or they're not like as a doula, we can't be like, yes, please keep going against medical advice. Like that's, I don't know. It's really, it gets really tricky. And then, you know, let's say they're going against medical advice and then they show up at the hospital and they're saying, why didn't you let us know to be part of the process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They assume the doula was the one telling them Mm -hmm. to do that. So it gets really tricky, really tricky. So I guess in that situation, what I've done in the past, when I had a situation like that, um, I've had several is that once it starts to get into this space where it seems like they're assuming my silence is an approval. Mm, That's good. Yeah. I start to start saying things like, I just want you to know that the recommendation is to call your provider, that you really should be checking in with Mm -hmm. your provider. Um, That is a really important piece of this. You know, me not telling you what to do is not either a acceptance or approval of what you're doing, nor is it a judgment on what you're not doing. It's just, I am a completely unbiased place. Like I just keep filling that information at them. And then I really do say things like, what if you called and made a clinic appointment instead of walking into triage? Like, I'm just trying to get them over the fence, you know? Yeah. Just get in there and then the the wheels will turn. (sighs) Yeah. Right. It's a very interesting line to toe for sure, because you're very clear in the get go. And you're making sure they're clear, but then of course it's all lost in translation at some point, potentially Mm -hmm. for some Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's hard not to get the ego involved. Do you see what I'm saying? Like how, like what I always say is you can't control, you can only control what, like how you serve. You can't control their choices. Yeah. I don't care. I I always say, I don't, that's what I always say. I like, I think some people think doulas have an opinion on everything that they do in their birth. And I would say like, I actually don't care. I I care that you understand the pros and cons and I care that you are in alignment and all of those things, but I don't Mm -hmm. care what you choose. No, I don't care if we're going for a plan C section. I don't care if it's an epidural Mm -hmm. you want to get, but so that I, I was interested in your word ego because I would say when you're doing birth work, it, you cannot be tied to outcome. Right. Yes. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. It's hard. I would assume that you, in order for you to tow the line that you tow, you have done a lot of work on yourself is my assumption. And Oh yeah. You have to, if you bring yeah. your baggage to the room, you are doing no one any service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would assume, lot, I think, yeah. I think people sometimes do go into birth work almost as a way of redeeming maybe if they yep. had really difficult births and you can't, yeah. or like, I'll see people be like, this is my C-section rate as a doula. And I'm like, Oh, right. No, whatever. <laughs> who cares? Like 
you're not a provider. You're well, and I mean, again, back to the small sample size. I, I really wish right? people would understand the literal drop in the bucket that the number of births they've been to, even if you're in the hundreds, as as you know, Lindsay, you and I are now. Yeah, it, it has nothing to do with how good of a doula you are. No, um, not at all. I think that my goal and always it's my hundred percent goal and kind of my guiding star when it comes to teaching, when it comes to dueling is how can that person on the other side of this birth have their baby in their arms and say, I did that. I can do anything. Yeah. And not, and no, and, and everyone noticed she didn't say, wow, my doula was amazing. No, (laughs) that always bugs me. If someone is like, I couldn't have done it without you. I'm like, girl, you were crawling through the lobby and I was holding open the elevator door. That's all I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know that I didn't do anything and you could have, you could have, you know, grunted your way through the lobby without me, but, but they do sometimes misplace the appreciation for what has been done and, and it really should be on them. The, the appreciation of what they themselves have done. Oh, I love that. That's so good. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. And do you, so with this work of helping your clients to be in alignment, you talk about it in childbirth classes. Is that where you you kind of open this conversation for people to start really considering? Yes. Their, um, so a couple of oh, and beliefs. I should say I <laughs> their choices. Am someone who is so passionate about giving smart people credit, especially females, because I feel like that is very often historically a place where history gets rewritten. So. I went to a conference several years ago, a Lamaze conference, and um, this really genius woman, Kim James, she's out in the uh, Seattle area, was speaking about how you would understand and identify your bias as a birth professional and and mostly an educator because it was an educator conference. How do you understand your bias when you are teaching or talking about medical intervention? Mm -hmm. And she was using those, I keep referencing them, but it's that understanding your medical mind Uh, book. And she had these three spectrums. So the spectrums are um, the naturalist versus the technologist, the minimalist versus the maximalist, and then the doubter believer scale. Mm -hmm. These three spectrums are the cornerstone of my class. And what I ended up doing is I took her, her session and was like, okay, so great. You're going to identify as an educator where your bias is, and then you're going to realize how you need to shift what you're doing when you're teaching these things so that you don't come off as I have an opinion on what you should do here. But I then decided what happens if we tilt the lens and instead of this being a way for me, the educator to identify my own bias, I help the students identify where they live on this scale, these three scales. Once they identify where they live, then they identify where their partner lives. Because when I work with partnered couples, they aren't in agreement sometimes. A one lot, person yeah. wants a home birth, one For person sure. wants a hospital birth, whatever it is. And they identify who they are on the spectrum, which just knowing it sheds light on why we're disagreeing about this topic, why we're disagreeing about um, where we should birth or, or how we should do parenting or how we should pick a pediatrician or a family practice doctor for a baby. And then I have them go a step further 
and I start making sweeping generalizations, which everyone loves. <laughs> no, everyone is like, what? No, that's not how it is. But um, I then say, in general, this type of provider would be best aligned if you are on this part of the spectrum. And they get to have a personal aha moment without mm. feeling outed or without being, you know, made an example of where they then know in their own mind, in their own self, I am not aligned. Oh, no. Mm, I love so that good. you do that. I love that you don't just leave it open to interpretation, but that you. No. But you also don't tell them what they should do. I think nope, sometimes we're like examples of how it looks when they aren't aligned. Right. So then I would That's use that smart. water breaking example. I would say, okay, let's say you live over here on the spectrum. You're with this other provider on the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> Your water breaks. This provider on this side of the spectrum is going to have you do this. The provider on this part where you live is going to say this. Once that water breaks, you are lacking in choices and you only have your values to rely on. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think a lot of first time parents don't like, like you said before, all the blah, blah and lecturing is, it's so conceptual. It's so hard to feel it in their body. So when you give an example, mm -hmm. it's so easy for them to see, oh, that's what she means when she's talking about right. <laughs> my alignment versus my actual choices. Right. And so sometimes people think, oh yeah, yeah, that's not a big deal because my provider is going to make an exception and my provider is going to say <laughs> for you, I'll do this because you're special. And then I just talk more about like, you know, you don't go buy a Subaru from a Honda dealer. Yeah. <laughs> If I went to the Honda dealer and said, hey, I want to buy a Subaru, they're going to try to talk me into the Honda. They think it's right. It is not that they're bad people. It isn't that they're trying to get me. It's that they truly believe that this is the better thing. Yes. Yeah. So intelligent. We only have a few more moments. I'm curious to wrap it up. Um, do you have any advice for people who work in birth? Like when you see novice people who work with birthing people, whatever they are, do you have advice for them? Like when you work with a birthing person, the one thing I learned is, you know, I know you don't like these, <laughs> give me the one thing you learned, give me the top three, but is there, do you see, is there a moment where you cringe regularly when you see someone new doing something? You're like, oh no, not like that. Well, a myriad of things, but one <laughs> in particular is social media posting about their own, Ooh. the birth that they're going to, or the birth <sighs> they just left, or how long that birth was that they just experienced. Or, you know, I'm so tired, this birth is going for three days. And it's like, hey, there's a person. Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> there. Hands in they the air. Read. <laughs> yes, they can read and they have friends that read. And as much as we think, oh, I'm not talking to them and I'm not friends with anyone who know them, you probably do. We work in small circles. It's not like, yeah. So that, that's a really big thing for me is, is not to advertise. Sometimes the, the carrot dangling of marketing by saying mm -hmm. I'm at a birth overwhelms them into thinking it's okay. And it isn't. Yeah. I think also business wise, I wouldn't hire a doula that I saw posted about every birth she went to. Cause I'd be like, I'm just going to be another Instagram story. Well, here's so, the thing. Here's the thing that I think is one, if 
let's say someone sees they you post like this, like happy birthday to all these people. And then they yeah. forget you. Like I've yeah. seen that where it's like, oh, I guess my birth was not as important because it wasn't a home birth or it wasn't, it was a C-section or what people mm-hmm. either they feel left out or I've seen where doulas will post before the family. And let's say like <laughs> their cousin follows that doula and is like, oh, my cousin's in labor. Like there's, there's some really shady things that can happen but let me be clear on the like i'm not uh you know my self-righteousness at this moment came was was um achieved by the pain of my errors Mm, yeah so so i'm not sitting here saying oh new doulas i hate it when you do this i'm saying new doulas i was you and i did something like this and it ended up being a real learning moment. And so use my learning as your ability to not do the thing instead of touching your hand to the fire. Yeah. I think I, for sure when, you know, I think when you're a new doula, you're so excited. You're eager. Yeah. And that you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to a birth. So I am sure that I posted like Facebook 10 years ago, like off to a birth or like the picture of yourself wearing a scrubs in a, a scrub. Oh hat. yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I think we've all had that moment of like, I can't believe I'm wearing this outfit as a doula for the first time. And you might take a picture of yourself selfie and think nothing of it. But what you've done is just marked the day and the experience as a surgical birth for someone who didn't say that that was okay. Yeah, I know. I don't know what you do. What I do if I'm posting something about a birth is I will wait till like our postpartum or even like months down the road. And if I want to use something from their birth for marketing, I will always get written permission. Oh yeah. Written permission. And your, your important piece there is your waiting. So sitting while someone's got a baby in their arms after they pushed a baby out an hour ago, or they birthed a baby an hour ago is not informed consent. That is a vulnerable adult who's just experienced possible shock or possible trauma. We don't know their description is their perception that that's all, all of theirs to own. And so asking them in that moment or having a blanket approval before they've birthed. Yeah. They might change their mind. They might change their mind. Yeah. And so it's really a time to wait and, and be patient. It will happen when it happens. Um, new doulas need to know that at some birth, sometime there's going to be a photographer that your client hires and that photographer and that client is likely to say, yes, use whatever you want. And that is how you get your images of you working and, yeah. and, and marketing and all that. So it, it will come. It's just that beginning point where you're like, oh, I need content and I need marketing stuff. Oh, so good. Very good. That's actually great advice. Because I think that even if you take a selfie in the hospital scrubs and you can't identify, there's nobody else in the photograph, but then you mm-hmm. go home and you, fo- you post it that day, mm-hmm. your client might see it and again, feel like, oh, great. It just became an Instagram story. Like that's my story. You were at my event, you know? Right. And so- And maybe that's a, was and not we, how I wanted it to go. Yeah. And now you're just making yes. a magnifying glass on that. That's right. Even though you didn't tag me in it, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're getting like a moment in the spotlight when I'm getting a moment in like feeling like crap about this. It's the whole impact versus intention conversation. Totally. It's such a big conversation. And I do think that a lot of it though does come with, we've got to make mistakes for those of us. I've been in the movement world for 20 Mm -hmm. years and we have to make mistakes for sure. I mean, we can learn so much from 
the wise ones, you know, but I think that along the way there are mistakes to be made. But I think that a lot of the young people coming into this field also, they're used to communicating by sharing on social. We're not, I'm 43. I don't know how old you are, but you know, I come from what Lindsay's like 12, but (laughs) 35 on Friday. Oh my God. So, um, you know, so I, I didn't grow up in that culture of sharing every th- thought that I have on social. And uh, I know that a lot of young people do. It's just how they think. And mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's not easy to pause the way you think to take the better route. <laughs> well, and then I will further that statement. And we need to also understand as educators that are, you know, we're aging out of being peer level um, or doulas, you know, mm-hmm. educating out of being a peer level. So that aging out, you know, I'm, I'm 40 and I have an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. That's and right. So we have to remember that the people who are birthing are also the same generation as the, you know, younger generation or the That's people right. coming into doula work. And so they might be matched to each other. And we may be looking at them going, oh, I can't believe you guys are so social on social media. And they're going, yeah, this is how we are. <laughs> so like to them, it's normal. Absolutely. That's how you communicate. That's, Mm -hmm. there's no other way. Mm -hmm. So as I will say, as a person who's getting older in the business, we also have to be looking through a lens of who are the birthing people and how do we reach them? Absolutely. It's such an important point as opposed to them calibrating to us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been so amazing talking to you. Tell us quickly, Liz, how are you, how can people find you? Are you very local? Do you do online work? Do you, what do you do? Well, of Tell course, us. now I'm doing very, a lot of online work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so more people that are listening can like find you. I'm so excited. Yes, they totally can. So we're doing all virtual classes at the moment, but I do think that because of the process we've just gone through, we will continue to always offer some virtual classes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be offering anything that's a webinar style where it's pre-recorded and you watch and listen, but something that's always going to be interactive and in, in like, uh, activity based through virtual. Um, that's what we're doing right now. And the website they can find us at is birthedmn.com. So we're based in Minnesota, but we can totally have those virtual options for really anywhere that you are. Um, and then we have all kinds of stuff. We got our lactation classes. We have our um, preparing for birth. I have my beloved VBAC class that I adore. And anyone in the country can take that from us right now and probably ongoing now that we have the system in place. Love it. Um, but we also are doing like online lactation and virtual dueling and things like that at the moment. But we, of course, have those in person when we, when we can again. I love that. If I were pregnant, I would 100% sign up today because I feel like I love, and it's probably not for everyone, but I love how clear you are. I love That's that. That's why I knew Lauren and Liz would get along. Like Liz, you just have a really clear and concise way of educating. And I, and I think it's I probably that. not everybody. I mean, I'm not everybody's first choice because I'm so clear, Correct. but I love mm-hmm. that about you. I'm like, oh, it feels so nice when you're talking to someone for me. It feels so <laughs> nice to me to be talking to someone who is so confident in her path. I think that's a big turn on. And I don't even mean sexually. I mean, <laughs> it's a turn on to my brain, to yes. everything. Yeah. Like it's just a, it's really, it's really, I want to calibrate to that energy. So I really appreciate that. And I'm happy we've met. Yeah, no, it's amazing to meet you as well. And I, I think the other piece of like being a direct person who lives in Minnesota, which is not exactly, <laughs> exactly. a thing, um, is that I am really adept at, 
understanding and adapting to when I'm dealing with an introvert, introvert who isn't interested in that real direct conversation. And so, you know, I always say, I know how to feed and water the introverts as well. Mm, um, and that, they, that they don't get called out in class. They don't get told they're going to read aloud. It's, it's all built around their comfort level of how much they want to involve themselves in being a voice in the room versus being an observer. Mm. Mm. That's so sensitive and amazing. Well, thank you. It's been thank great you, meeting you. Yeah, thanks guys. This was awesome. Thank you all for listening to the One Strong Mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at onestrongmamaprenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.